we're delighted to be joined by Joel Vincent. Um, third time on the podcast, but first time that we've actually been talking about your comedy. Yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> what I actually love is Joel's bio. Absurd, dark, silly and avant-garde. Approaches stand-up with equal parts contempt and respect. Which is the same as uh, most audiences at your average open mic. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> very true. But I think Joel's kind of quiet, you know. I don't think he's talking about his whole skill set there. What is, what is he, professional musician, music teacher, uh, experienced improv performer, and 2022 Raw Comedy Quest finalist. And the man's talents continue. That's right. I have to say, congratulations on becoming a, a 2022 Royal Comedy finalist. But it feels like you've been around a while now. Yeah, I started, I remember the exact date, actually. It was 25th of November, 2019. So I've been really? doing yeah, stand-up for almost three years. And I guess I've been taking it seriously for like since maybe the kind of end of 2020. I think uh, the first bit of doing it, I was really enjoying it and just sort of doing one a week. And then I think something clicked about 20 gigs in uh, and I was just like, oh, this is actually, I'm really enjoying this. I've just been trying to get on as much as I can. What I was keen to explore, Joel, is, is go back, way back in time, obviously a bit about yourself, like where you're from, you know, did you really come from an entertaining family? Because you obviously got a few fingers in a few pies around music, improv, comedy, and just talk us through the the sort of uh, how that all kind of came about. Like I'm the only person on either side of my family at present, I hope I'm not getting this wrong, that does any performance sort of stuff or um, artistic sort of pursuits at a regular, you know, as a regular kind of part of their life. I think like my, my grandma on my mum's side, her brother was a professional clarinet player. <laughs> and um, my nana, my dad's cousin had some like songs out on vinyl in the 60s over here but other than that it's just kind of yeah and no, I definitely haven't come from a uh, performing family I just it was really into music since I was a little kid and I'd kind of always wanted to play guitar but never got around to it and it was just when I was 15 we had a flyer in the mailbox for guitar lessons and mum suggested I, I book in and I think it took about six months to really connect to the instrument and then from then on I was very like very much um obsessed with it but I think I've come from the perspective of always being a very like passionate consumer of music and art and stuff and just wanting to be a part of it never had a massive drive to perform for attention I guess I just want to make things that I like if that makes sense and then now that I've been performing for so so long it feels really comfortable and I do really enjoy it for the sake of that but I, I guess it's always been about um, making things that I want to listen to or watch or laugh at have you got any um, music out that isn't uh, comedy related? Yeah, I actually, I don't think I have any music out that is comedy related. I have, uh, what have I got out? Just various bands that I've played with in the past. Um, my YouTube channel has a, a little bit of my own stuff, which is kind of improvised. I do a lot of prepared guitar, which is um, manipulating the guitar with foreign objects, like paintbrushes and bits of metal and stuff. And there's a few things out on YouTube with that. Um, I've played in a lot of bands over the last sort of 15 years and done a lot of projects, but I'm not doing as much of that at the moment. Have you stuck to one particular genre of music or have you really hopped around? No, I've definitely hopped around. So I uh, I studied contemporary music performance at Mainz and then I went to jazz school. Um, and then I've played like a lot, a lot of jazz stuff. I'm really into experimental and improvised music. And I played, I kind of have a surf punk band, which is on hiatus at the moment. And I play in an Afrobeat band and... Uh, played in like folk groups and stuff I, I have eclectic taste which i think is the same in comedy as well i like afrobeat you're talking my language there when you go yeah. down that route the rest of it though is like it's very different they're yeah. all very different types but i think one of the things it feels like one of the things that they've all got in common those genres is kind of the space for improvisation yeah definitely for the most part it's a different thing because you know jazz gets described as improvised music but it's improvising in a structure mm. so to kind of improvise within that structure you have to have a level of like understanding of the of the uh, idiom and the vocabulary that's required uh whereas like improvised music like i um do a lot of free improv that's very much you know you can play with people that are not trained at all or have made their own instruments that don't even play like notes in a conventional system and it's still that's valid you know or i play i've gave a duo with a dancer who does sort of like improvised movement so yeah i guess a lot of that stuff does have, have improvised 
elements to it but i think like i think jazz is not as improvised as people say it is especially no i don't know enough about jazz i'll have to take your word for it <laughs> it's, just, it's one of those things that people always say so obviously you were into music from quite a young age when did improv because i presume improv came after music or did something else come after yeah music? No, improv came after music so i've just always been really motivated by stuff that i felt funny and uh i really like humor um and i think 2017 near the end of 2017 i just needed like a hobby or something to do creatively that wasn't music every time i tried to have a hobby it would be like I'll make a guitar pedal or I'll learn the banjo or it would just be like music adjacent. Yeah, started, I did a, I'd seen Snort a few times, which I really liked. And I did a, um, the intro course at the Covert and then got really into improv. So I've been doing that for about five years now. And it's just really was been beneficial to me, like to have creative stuff in different mediums I've found, which I kind of didn't realize before I, you know, had started doing improv because up to that point, my creative stuff was just all music related. Did anybody introduce you to improv or did you just fall fall upon it? Just kind of fell upon it. A friend had taken me to snort. Um, she didn't do improv, I don't think, but she'd just seen it herself. And I went to that a few times with a few different people. And then I watched that movie, um, Don't Think Twice. I think Keegan-Michael Key, Is it Keegan-Michael Key? I can't remember his name. Key and Peel, that guy. is It's a really good film. And uh, just sort of thought, oh, that looks really fun. And I watched some Ask Cat on YouTube. And yeah. I thought I really wanted to do it. And I just, yeah, really enjoyed it. And how have you found that improv journey, you know, from coming off musical to, to then coming into more of an acting kind of style? I reckon there's heaps of uh, similarities. Like there's a very transferable skill set in some ways in terms of like being bold and uh, leaving space and dynamics and what have you. So I, I found improv... Like I was learning all the time. It didn't feel like a steep learning curve. Like I'm learning all the time, but I, I wouldn't say it was easy is the wrong word, but I didn't feel like I've never felt like it was a struggle. There's certain things I find difficult in it, but it's been like a nice, yeah. I really get to a point where I feel like I'm banging my head against the wall with it. So what sort of encouraged you to ex start exploring um, stand up? It's funny eh? because I remember like uh, one of my improv mates, I was driving him home. And he was saying he was doing stand-up. And I see, I remember saying something real wanky at the time, like I was just like a lesser art form. This <laughs> <laughs> is like it would have been in 2019. I think I had a bit of contempt for it. I think that's just because of what I had been exposed to. You know, like I went through a period about 10 years ago where I watched quite a bit on uh, DVD and stuff. But um, mm. I think I went and saw a gig that Stephen Lyons put on at the Thirsty Dog that Keegan was emceeing. And they had a thing going, it was like you could get up and do a minute of stand-up and win a bar tab. And I kind of thought, oh, this will, you know, I can totally do that. That'll be fun. And I was sitting there thinking about what I would do. And then I think no one else entered, so they just gave our table the bar tab. And then I think <laughs> I got quite curious about it because I was like, oh, that would be quite cool. And then myself and um, Amy and another guy, Matt, who does improv, had all been talking about it. And Amy just booked us in for an open mic at charlie bax's on a birthday and so we sort of had about a month to get stuff together and i think i yeah i just really enjoyed the pro like i, I kind of maybe like for a year before been writing the odd thing down i didn't know what it would end up be but just i end up being whether it would be a sketch or whatever but just ideas and stuff and then i did it the first time and i was like man this is actually like really fun I take back my negative comments about it after I've done it. So. What, what, did you see other improv performers like Stephen Lyons doing comedy and going, oh, you know, I'd like to do that? Or was it just a natural curiosity for you? I think it was a natural curiosity, yeah. I think it was just being put in the position of being offered to do it, and, you know, and then thinking, how would I do this if I was going to do it? And uh, I'm not sure, actually. It's a good question. It definitely wasn't driven by seeing people that I know through improv because there's actually not that much of a crossover. I think there is a little bit more now, but there wasn't so much at the time. Yeah, because that was the question we we're going to ask next is how would you describe the main differences between improv and stand-up? And then, obviously, the big question we're going to ask you is your favourite performance genre. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, the different way. Well, I guess, I mean, stand-up is like a solo pursuit while you're up there. Um I have friends that I like write with and bounce ideas off and I find that really helpful. Uh, whereas improv is a team sport. And I mean, stand-up is about being funny. I mean, hopefully it's about more than that, but at the base level, like it's got to be funny. It's got to be funny enough to get 
across what you're trying to say and entertain people whereas improv is like being funny can be a detriment if it's like done in a gaggy sort of a way because it breaks tension mm. and it's a different sort of a thing i think for me personally like i've needed a solo project for a long time and that's it, not music like i like i'm, I'm more I'm, i think overall i'm like more of a group person you know like i like being in and playing music and being in the kind of engine room and thinking like what what can i do to kind of add something to this and with improv i like that kind of the team thing and, and being reactive so stand up is very much like you die on your own sword or whatever the opposite of that is claim the victory which i like it's a higher risk i guess in some ways you know you have a shit improv show or a shit musical performance and you have a bunch of people that have just been through that with you as well yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whereas like stand up is just like yeah i've had some atrocious gigs doesn't affect me too much mentally, but definitely there'll be a moment where I'm like, fuck, that was a thing. <laughs> yeah, why am I doing this? And then the next person goes on and has a great set. Yeah, and then so you've got your buddies there that have just had an excellent set. You kind of like, you can't really share in that misery. Yeah, it's like you do stand up <laughs> and you go, oh, and you get nothing. It's like, oh, maybe the crowd are just not interested tonight. Then the next person kills and you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah it can be such a mystery that whole thing eh? like sometimes stuff will work and or it won't work and, and you'll see people that are great and just like sometimes it won't work or it will work or sometimes that, like i'll do something that i don't think is that funny and it'll really work and then it'll never work again or it's just kind of mm. i guess that's part of the skill set is learning to like recognize that and recognize that quick and adapt you know to the situation and stuff so do you have a favourite out the two? I mean, we can throw music in there as well, but do you have a favourite or is it really how you're feeling at a particular moment? At the moment, I'm definitely focusing more on stand-up. Um, I don't know, is it my favourite? Yeah, at the moment, I guess it, it is probably. That's what I'm focusing more on. But I think the, I think like music is something I'm going to do my whole life and I think improv will be too. I think stand-up will be as well. It definitely feels like a... a, a potentially has more of a like a shelf life depending on what else is going on like improv i feel like i can i could dip in and out a little bit more yeah. casually but i think with stand-up if i was doing it not that often i'd probably find the experience less satisfying so maybe it requires more maintenance or something it's addictive as well a bit isn't it it's yeah like, i reckon it is yeah. especially when you have a good gig and you're like oh, i want to yeah. get up again as soon as possible i'll put my name down for everything it's just a very like What's the word? It's a very gratifying process and it's very achievable because you have six minute chunks. I, sometimes I have eight minute chunks because I'm bad at going over. But <laughs> I try not to do that on other people's gigs. I just do it on my own. But um, yeah, you have these little chunks and then like I'll always film it, film all my sets and go back and listen to them multiple times and then sort of think, okay, I'm going to change that. Or I'm going to change that. Um, and it also, you can like, I feel like I just things that I'm interested in or things that I'm thinking about during the day, I'll just write down, like I've got like a Google doc with ideas and I'm putting stuff in that all the time. So, and then, you know, it's almost like even with a few gigs a week, there's not enough stage time to try everything out. So I feel like no. it's quite, I never get, I never feel like I get to a point where that I don't have anything to work on. That's, um, that's an interesting point. Actually use a Google doc because um, there's a bit of a debate around, should you use paper notebooks or, electronic apps to kind of write down your ideas for comedy and um personally i always use google keep or google docs for everything but it feels like there's quite a lot of paper notebook purists out there i reckon people you just got to do what you work well with yourself exactly it's an interesting thing there's improvised uh so there's i don't know if anybody's not familiar with his work there's a guy called keith rowe who's like a um tabletop guitarist right so he's one of those very influenced by jackson pollock and he's one of the first guitarists that used to put their guitar down on the table facing up and he'll do you know he plays with steel wool and he doesn't tune it and he with through various pedals and he'll blend the radio and sometimes it's very abstract um it's quite hard listening i really really appreciate a lot of his work like some of it i find it quite hard going but it's like a very re rewarding and I've read a lot, you know, him talking in interviews and stuff. And one of the things he said, which is actually relevant to like writing a bio is like, when you ask somebody to define something, you know, you might like, I'm quite pedantic with stuff. So I might spend the time writing a bio and say it out loud and getting it sounding good. And then I'm very happy with it. But then unconsciously, I'm trying to fit myself into that box that I've written, mm -hmm. um, which can be counterproductive. So I think sometimes when you give people an option to have an opinion, 
they feel that we we feel like as humans we have to choose one where actually maybe it's not that relevant so i just i, I mean i don't know i haven't been doing stand-up anywhere near as long as other people that are far more of an authority but i think the difference between like typing something in or using a notebook is pretty arbitrary really eh? i think so yeah absolutely. i mean if you said to someone who's a really really good working comic that they could you know they had to switch mediums i'm sure they'd still write great i think so i think the only people that are religious about it are the ones that like their paper notebooks as well no one who yeah. uses the says oh you must use this it's the best and i mean sometimes that can be like just a, like a preference because you like the feel of it or aesthetics which is valid too you know it's like we're working in a tidy environment or, or whatever we we have to do to you know get ourselves in a good space to do things but uh i don't i think the most i mean i think everybody we can decide what is right for us but i think trying to say that there's one way of making taking notes to me seems a little bit like just from a purely pragmatic point of view that google docs makes way more sense because you can't lose it and uh, yeah. like, so for me, when I rewrite drafts, I'll just copy paste. So like some of my jokes are up to like 80 pages or something. And there's just one <laughs> word difference between each one, but I've got all the kind of, yeah, same. Not, de- not deleting anything. Everything. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Cause you might just want to go through back, you know, sometimes at some point it might not be working and you might want to go back through and there might be something in there that's really useful. Or... Oh, I've definitely done that. I've gone back up further, back up the dock and copied and pasted something that I'd already rejected and put it back. Yeah. In. You think of something that make it work. Yeah, definitely. Well, what's interesting is people say that you have to invest a lot of time into stand-up because, of course, you've got to write the material, you've got to hone the material, and then you go to an open mic and you practice it. But actually, one thing, especially with being more involved in improv now, actually, if you want to get really good at improv, you need to go to drop-in workshops or you need to go to block workshops or you need to... So actually, you know, a lot of people think that improv is, oh, you know, you turn up and it happens on the night around you. But actually, if you want to get good at it, you have actually got to invest time into that as well, right? Oh, man, I reckon everything is a skill set, eh? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, e- even down to real human things like like relationships or like learning how to communicate. Or So I think any pursuit benefits from working at it, absolutely. Like, uh, yeah, in, in my experience anyways, from, from doing creative stuff for a long time. Like, uh, yeah, I think, uh, oh, what was I going to say? I had something very relevant to say, which I've now forgotten. It's okay. I'll have a think about it. I'll edit this bit out and it'll make you sound really smart. Oh, perfect. Yeah. If you could come and do that live, that would be great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just walk on stage, stop the show. Oh, yeah. That's... Started 10 seconds later. <laughs> yeah. That would be great, eh? Hey? Like just some sort of mass hypnosis thing where you can just keep yeah. back just come across and... the stage. Like... Yeah. No, you don't, I, don't, I don't think you have to edit that out unless it's boring. I think that's quite, quite funny. A good peek behind the veil, you know? Um, oh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, um, I read some quote. I, love, I do love a good quote, especially when they're like succinctly summed up and sound nice. Um, but I, I read some quote from somebody and it was like, there are plenty of people there that are like willing to suffer for their art and not that many that are actually willing to learn how to make a, paint a picture. Mm. And I felt very like seen and attacked to a certain degree with that. Cause I was like, I'm totally guilty of that sometimes like just turning up and doing it, but then actually not learning from my mistakes or uh, working at it. So I guess when, <laughs> when I heard about that, I'm really uh, making a point of like, yeah, yeah, I guess trying to like um, constantly do things in a, in a different way if they're not working or even if they are working, like you know, not, not just do the same thing and like try to um, take on board feedback, you know, in the form of audience reaction or... Every time I've seen you, and I don't think you would have changed now, you religiously record everything you do. Yeah, I do, yeah, yeah. And do, I get and real do... cranky when it doesn't work as well. Do you actually watch every single one back and literally? Yeah, I think so. Pretty much I've watched them at least once. Some of them I'll listen to 10 or 15 times. A lot of people, and I'm terrible, I'll 100% admit it, I hardly ever watch myself because I hate watching myself yeah, listening yeah. to myself. But you seem to be, I've, I've got over all of that and, and, and you seem to do it religiously at every gig. Is there a, is there a secret to it or is it like, yeah, that's a, been a big part of my development, actually. Like, I don't have a problem bombing, really, and I don't cringe that much when I watch myself back. Occasionally, I will if I've said something that just doesn't work or 
you know, got my hopes up that something would be really funny and it clearly wasn't. <laughs> but um, when I was younger, I had like severe stage fright issues and it was really weird because it didn't come on straight away. So I remember being at music school and I'd get bad stage fright on and off, but, you know, it was like manageable. This is at Mainz and there's a two-year uh, diploma. And then first year uh, jazz school university was fine. I was like quite confident with it. And then second year, for some reason, I got this like a, uh, from then on, I had a real problem with nerves and it lasted for ages. And I think it took about six or so years to get over it to the point that it wasn't that impactful. When then for a period of time, I felt like I didn't feel anything with performing. Like I'd really enjoy it, but I would like shut that side of myself off that was like vulnerable with it. And then I think it kind of came to a peak. I had this gig filling in for a friend in Wollongong in Australia, just playing like a couple of songs for a theatre show. Pretty easy and like a fun thing, but I just got so wound up about it that I like had to sleep in like a car between my two teaching jobs for an hour just to like chill out. This would have been sort of 2015. And at the time mm. I was going to like a, a mindfulness person who was like a therapist as well to sort of like deal through some general issues and like, especially like quitting smoking at the time and the stage fright. And um, I think, yeah, I think, I guess what helped, has helped me with it is just doing it like a fuckload, um, even when I haven't felt good about it. And I'm not saying that's a, necessarily a good thing to do because we want to be careful with our mental health, but I guess it worked for me at the time. And then actually getting some help. Yeah, I guess you got to sort of differentiate between like, am I just having a general, like generally healthy human response? Because it is healthy to feel some sort of apprehension or nerves or is it like crippling and making me unhappy and what have you. And for me, it was definitely the latter. And I guess there are a whole lot of things that go into that. I like being too much of a perfectionist or like all or nothing thinking or sort of overthinking and under preparing and all that sort of stuff. So I guess you're coming into stand up. I've like dealt with that in a different forum. And same as coming into improv as well. Like I'm kind of just not, it's not not a thing I have to deal with. I have the odd gig. I'm like nervous, but it's very, really cripplingly so. It's a very long-winded answer. Forgot no, what the cool. question was now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested in going back to your, your uh, music briefly. Um, asking, so you basically, that's your full-time job, isn't it? It's music teaching and performing. Is that right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, a lot. I don't have a lot of income from performing music at the moment, like I have in the past. But um, I've got quite a good load of teaching, and I just kind of got to a point where I'm a bit overdoing the work that pays. You know, like which is generally with music, it's just playing jazz as a duo at a wedding or a corporate, um, and it's like fun work with my friends and stuff. But I don't feel like it's. I don't know. I'm not getting that much out of it other than money. And it's quite valuable time, you know, like Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights and the weekends. So yeah, I can't, I don't, I mean, I probably got the skill set for it, but I don't know if I'm a professional musician anymore by definition, because I'm, I'm like playing at a good standard, but I'm not earning money off it. All my income for the most part comes from teaching guitar. Do you find that it's because you are in music or most of the day, every day teaching others has that had anything to do with taking your love away from performing or is it do you think you've just found other mediums that are just far more valuable to you? No, I think there hasn't. Um, teaching, when uh, for me, teaching guitar, when it's good, it's good. And when it's terrible, it's fucking atrocious. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, usually, it's, it's, it's one of those things that seems to be universal with work, eh? Like the, the worst, like the worst jobs pay the worst, the conditions are the worst and they're like the least enjoyable. And then, I mean, I guess actually I can't say that as a blanket statement because I've never had another job. Yeah, like the teaching I got at the moment like pays well and it's like enjoyable and I like yeah. the kids and it's not stressful and I'm not having to think about it outside of... So no, no, it didn't have any impact on... Take... I think what I had an impact on taking away my enjoyment... I still enjoy performing music if it's creative or my music or improvised music. I just don't... I, I, I would just find I'd get really nervous about playing at a wedding in the background, which is weird because I have no problem playing in front of people that are listening just all the things that go around with it's just an awkward thing to be doing or i don't know so coming back to comedy who would you say have been influences on you actually i wrote this down let me just check my like document I, i'm really into this punk band called no effects that i got really into when i was like 15 and i think that our fat mike who's the songwriter and singer he's got i really like his sort of humor it's this very like juxtaposition of like real crass toilet humor but with some quite like astute observations and political stuff behind it and very kind of like uh, offensive, but in the right way, you know, like not picking, like not punching down, but sort of like questioning people's assumptions around things and what have you. Uh, I really like Stuart Lee a lot. Mm -hmm. 
I think I'd done two or three comedy gigs before I got exposed to him and I was just blown away. I think he's probably my favorite. And I really like James Acaster. Yes. I yes. really like Eddie Peppertone. He's got the special called For the Masses, which is on YouTube. And I reckon I've listened to that like 20, 20 or 30 times. Um, I really like Eddie. Oh, Eddie Peppertone. So he's a sort of like six mid sixties, like quite rotund um, American guy. And he gets called the Bitter Buddha, and his kind of shtick is like he's like an old dude, kind of having these like angry rants. Mm. It's quite very. It's very like uh, what's the word nihilistic, like pessimist. There's a lot of stuff about the world ending, and but it's just like very very funny and like delivered with like minimal preamble. You know, like he just kind of has this great way of making every part of it funny, including the premise. So I thoroughly recommend that. It took me a couple of listens to like really digest it, but um, it's called For the Masses and it's on YouTube for free and it's just like a great special. And for anyone who listens to it um, and then knows me, we should talk about it afterwards because I would love to nerd out about it. <laughs> I've listened to this so many times. Oh, we'll link to that in the show notes, definitely. Yeah. Do you call yourself a, a comedy nerd? Do you go and watch and study comedy or...? I do Didn't now just... doing it, yeah. I, I did it beforehand. Um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm listening to a lot of podcasts and like constantly writing and listening and digesting and trying to get better at it. I don't think I'd be listening to it as much if I wasn't doing it. Mm. To find comedy in other mediums, like, uh, like, like, you know, like writing or TV series or films as well. Um, but yeah, I guess now that I'm doing it, I kind of am somewhat. I definitely don't feel any like obligation to listen to things and enjoy them that I'm supposed to. Like I don't particularly like George Carlin, shoot me, like whatever. Like I don't, I reserve the mm. right to change that opinion. Like I'll probably listen to something of his at some point and be like, that's amazing. But I just kind of have listened to a bunch of it. It didn't quite connect. Or, you know, I love Carrot Top. <laughs> I don't think his jokes have aged very well. Um, <laughs> I remember I started doing some prop stuff and, I, and then one of my friends was like, oh, I've checked out Carrot Top and I hadn't even heard of him. And then I watched all of that and I was like, this is brilliant. It's just a pity, a pity. It's so like kind of like some of the people he's picking on, it's a bit sh- shitty, you know, like, and, and he hasn't had to change it because he has, he's getting paid so well for it. But yeah, I think he's great. I must admit, I've not seen a single bit of Carrot Top anywhere ever. Yeah, I'm, aware really of him. I'm aware of him, but I've never seen anything. I think I have a part of me that's like from coming from like a punk background of just like, not mm. liking things that everybody likes and like taking like great joy in like liking things that are unpopular. That was my first instinct doing comedy was the anti-comedy thing. So I was like, what? Because mm. there's nothing inherently funny about someone standing there and telling jokes, right? But there's something really funny to me about somebody standing there and bombing, <laughs> telling jokes, except you can't, it's never funny because you empathize with them. But if it's like on purpose, like I find that so funny. So my whole first set was just basically like a bombing comic. Yeah, I was going to ask you about anti-comedy because I certainly the first few times I saw you, um, I did feel a strong kind of, you were the first person I'd seen in Auckland doing that kind of style. I don't know what, yeah, what a treat to me. I just, I I think it's also just like a kind of middle finger to what you're supposed to do. So like I made kind of a conscious decision, like I'll leave the mic on the stand and like tell street jokes most most of which I've written myself. Some there was definitely some parallel thinking where I was like, oh, someone's done that before. But then I guess I've used it as a premise, like knock knock jokes. Mm-hmm. It's like what's the word? The, the things that I like, look down on the most are like knock knock jokes, props. <laughs> like so, I was just trying to just trying to do all of that and make it funny. Because I think there's a real lack of self awareness for it. You know, like yeah. people will, will shit on things, but they're they're doing Tinder jokes. So it's like yeah. Yeah, Whereas exactly. I don't, I don't have a problem with anyone doing anything as long as it's not like um, unnecessarily picking on someone. But if something's like hack, but it's funny or whatever, like who cares? I think it's quite good. I guess that's the one thing I've always admired about you is you are willing to literally try anything. Like I remember the first time I saw you, I can't remember where it was. It might have even been Garnet Station or somewhere. Oh, somewhere it might have even been the classic when you had the prop box and stuff like that. And I was like, fuck, prop comedy. Wow. You know, <laughs> yeah. people are still doing that. And then, you know, and then I saw you the next time and you were doing something totally different. And then as it's progressed, you, you know, um, the holding up a picture and someone throwing stuff at you, the yeah. prop box set you do where you talk about one specific 
activity for the whole six minutes. And, and like, I remember the first time I heard that, I'm like, you know, so I, I really admire you for the fact that you are literally willing to put yourself out there and you, you almost like, with an almost don't care attitude of like, I'm just going to do this and it's just going to be the fucking way it is. And uh, that, uh, you know, how do you decide, you know, what's your inspiration and development of content, you know, because you do so many different things like the squeakies and stuff like that. Do you just sit there one day and just go, oh, fuck it, I'm going to do some of this? I think it's like a, a combination of like waiting for the muse to come and then like really trying to like then dig into it when it's there and just thinking like, what do I find funny? So I quite like, uh, I like that sort of humor, like imagine if, so you're like, imagine if, like I had this idea, hopefully no one steals this premise. I don't know how to make it funny yet, but imagine like humans hadn't been the dominant species on earth and it was moths. And then they finally got mm. to the point that they like left the planet in spaceships, but just like flew towards the sun. <laughs> so like, I, want to, I want to work on something around that um so sometimes i just have these ideas that i really like but then I'll, i will try to like uh really like dig down on it and um see what else so when i had an idea for a couple of props things the first gig i did, ever did i didn't wasn't doing any prop stuff i just came out was really nervous and bombing comic the very very first gag i ever did was improvised and it's when i walked on stage at charlie baxter's and i grabbed the mic stand and shook it like i was nervous and it rattled and that was kind of spur of the moment because I, you know, planned that I was going to do this bombing comic sort of thing. And then the second gig, I had this idea for this prop stuff and bought a whole lot of props. And uh, when I had an idea for a couple, I like went to like look smart or whatever it is in like St. Luke's and just like walked through all the, all the kind of novelty things and were just looking at them and trying to get ideas and just bought some things that I thought looked funny, but I wasn't sure of. Mm. Can't remember what the question I'm sorry, I'm not good at being succinct. <laughs> <laughs> the question was like, how... Because you do so many different things, like yeah. you know, there's there's comics like Fletcher, like Brendan Lovegood. He goes on stage, he tells jokes. Whereas, and you know, he tells good jokes. Whereas you are doing different performance kind of things, you know, with the toys, with the prop box, you do a multitude of things. How do you develop that content, that thought process? How much time do you invest into developing material? Oh, I you see. Know, yeah. It's just the same as writing a joke in a regular medium. I reckon it's just like it just happens that that joke has a prop involved or what have you. I think the process is different in that when I'm writing like the set, am I allowed to say the the content of the set that I'm doing at the moment? Are we allowed to swear on this? What's the kind yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so yeah. Anyway, I have this <laughs> I, I'm not that worried. I'm not gonna like tell jokes verbatim because I don't want to ruin it, but I, I feel like things that I like stand up to repeated viewing. So I'm not that yeah. worried about people hearing what I'm doing, but um I'm trying to do a whole set pretty much on just eating ass. And so they'll, <laughs> so I just think the audacity of somebody getting up and talking about that for just as long as possible is just funny to me. Like, cause it's, but um, I'm trying to do it. So the character, it's like character has a need and an opinion, and that is just eating ass. And he's real dumb, like, and it never gets explicit really. So he may have just confused ass with scones or something. Um, and it's just I'm quite, I kind of am trying to go for that sort of like you know that groan humor where people will be covering their face or like why am I laughing at this or just kind of towing that fine line between cringe and like uh, I, I saw you do six minutes on this at Win Win and I just yeah. killed myself the whole time because the ridiculousness of it yeah and, and the comparisons of it to you know and the activities you carry out it was, it was just like I just found it so funny yeah, it's like trying to, I'm figuring out what that said. So it's trying to get them like, you don't want to let them know too early that that I'm going to like be talking about this the whole time. So I've got some sort of fake outs where I'll be like, oh, what else is going on in my life? And try and do something that leads back to eating us. And the other thing is I want them to trust pretty quickly that I'm not going to go just gross for shock value because it's yeah. kind of, it gets that shock reaction at first because it's eating us, but I don't want to be talking about like things that are like viscerally disgusting, you know, like not that I'm saying that is disgusting, but I'm not going to go into like eating poo or, you know, like I want it to yeah. be kind of this like, like child, like stupidity about it. Um, yeah. So that's what I'm working on at the moment. And it's like when you, I think that in terms of generating material, when you kind of have something like that, it's quite easy because it's like, um, a lot of those jokes don't work on their own. They work in the context of the set. But, like, there's one premise, effectively. It's one overarching premise. So the whole premise is just character eats ass. 
and it's all the rest of his personality. So then it's just, you know, I was just sort of thinking, you know, I'm kind of trying to work out this bit about because my mum's Australian and my dad's British, so I'm trying to work out this bit at the moment. You know, like I'm half Australian, so I eat asked to test cricket wearing one of those hats with the corks, but I'm half British, so I do it with my little finger out. <laughs> I don't want to say that because that joke's just not working. So I think once it's in its final form, it won't, won't be the same as that. But I'm just trying to go through all the things that you're supposed to do as a comic. Like, you, you know, like you're supposed to, well, we're not supposed to, but things that are real common, talking about your, like your um, ancestry or your, like, yeah, where you, where you look or your hobbies or whatever, but just trying to do it through a means of this character just eats us. <laughs> I feel like that's maybe an answer to that question. Just sort of like, it just perpetuates if you have like one idea and extend it out. I definitely, yep. definitely like writing a set like that where it's like not props based or um, character based and it's like about words to a certain extent. That's like more of a conventional process for me. Like I'm making an effort to sit down with that regularly and like go through it and brainstorm and write lists and try it in a different way. Um, the stuff like, I don't know if you guys have seen that octopus bit that I have in costume. Yes. Yeah. The stuff like that, that's kind of like, um, that just came in, in one go at like, I already had this joke about the kinky octopus and then I was like, man, be, I should actually do it in character as an octopus and have a real shit octopus costume. <laughs> and then I wrote a little song based on like Under the Sea from The Little Mermaid with like puns in it because puns, you're not supposed to do puns as well because, you know, people don't <laughs> like puns. <laughs> Comics don't like puns. So I was like, how can I make that funny? And then yeah. just made sure that the melody ended up being different enough from the starting point that it wasn't plagiarism. I also remember way back, this was pre, may have even been pre-COVID, I remember seeing you at Ding Dong doing a six-minute set or even longer about Mike Hoskin. <laughs> Is it the one with all the fart noises? <laughs> yeah. I, thought, I was there for that one as well, yeah. I've only done that once or twice, but I want to bring that back. I just kind of, it's bad form at the moment because there's so much spit going everywhere, you know, so it's like really going to wait till the COVID thing dies down. But I feel like if I get, if I can get that set good, it'll be quite evergreen because you can just swap the character out to someone whoever you don't like, you know. But yeah, I just thought like because that's like that's like the worst, you know, those like shit things that people think are funny, like just talking about poo for ages or something. So like, how can you distill that to the most like base level that everybody is going to be on board with being like this is shit? So some dude farting, making fart sounds into a microphone for a minute. To me, that's just like, <laughs> I was like, that's probably the lowest thing you could do and get everybody in the room to just be like, what the, this is fucking awful. Like some people will get it really quickly and like laugh at the audacity of it, you know, like, um, but, and then, yeah. And then I had this kind of concept of like, it's, it's kind of quite absurd about Mike Hosking eating shit you know he's like eating so much of his own shit that he gets stuck inside his own asshole and then he keeps getting stuck <laughs> inside yeah so i will bring that back at some point well it's election year next year and if hoskin's going to be anywhere he's going to be all over that next year so but yeah i i, I like trying like i've got the set i want to try at the moment i'm just trying to write a whole lot of hack jokes and then but i guess the thing is it's got to be funny as well but then do it in a real you know like the other real cringe thing is doing a a stupid funny voice mm. if i could just be a whole set like hi <laughs> my name's joel and just have some real half-assed justification for it and just do a whole set in like a shit eye voice yeah. i think there's just so, so, so something so funny about things that are like shit like a shit costume or like just a shit comic or like i don't know you know have you guys seen that movie that joker <laughs> have you guys seen that with Joaquin phoenix that scene that he does in there i fuck it's so funny it's like not funny in context because he's somebody that's like not well you know mentally and he's like not a it's not a character to be laughed at if that was a real thing but just the fuck that whole thing he just doesn't get it and he's just like coming out and doing a character like a voice as his mum like Doing all the things you're not supposed to do as a comic. Like, yeah, I find it so funny. So I was interested then, just going back a bit. So you said that one of your parents was English and one of them was Australian. Yeah. Did you did did you grow up in New Zealand or did you Yeah, I was born there? born in New Zealand. So my dad came over when he was like two years old, I think, from yeah. London. And mum grew up in New South Wales. And then when her and dad met, they moved here. So I was born here, but I'm like a first generation New Zealander. I'm like a mongrel. I've got heritage from all the 
places in Europe, Scandinavian and stuff. Just imagine the English and Australians not liking each other. It's like, well, I'm not fucking living there and I'm not living there. Okay, yeah. we'll have to go to a place of neutrality. We'll go to New I Zealand. I think nobody likes the English, like, going through the back, eh? No one likes us, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, if you're talking about white people, like, white people aren't all equal. Like, objectively, like, we are way worse than, like, the English oppressed the Scottish and the Irish, right? So it's like, that's a different kind of, like, it's a different thing. I don't think, like... uh like we're not yeah, all all the white, like we're the fucking worst of them and then the, the australians are bad too <laughs> yeah so i've got all the worst i've got the worst white heritage even <laughs> even the vikings were like you know pretty bad eh yeah <laughs> being real angry and just fucking rowing around like you know killing people with axes and stuff of all the white heritages english is the one that everyone goes after right yeah just a great, just a great target that everyone. That's goes right. Um, English people are an, are an, the most oppressed minority now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> have, you, <laughs> have you guys heard that Stuart Lieber where he's like in the argument with the cab driver and it goes yes. Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, it's funny how long, how quickly it declines though. Eh? Like in three generations or whatever of living in relative comfort. I couldn't fucking go invade a country or kill someone with an axe like a Viking or <laughs> good for nothing, really. Yeah. yeah, it's long since been bred out of us, unfortunately. Yeah. Or, or fortunately, fortunately, maybe. Fortunately, probably, yeah. Fortunately for the rest of the world. Nah, don't edit that out. Leave, unfortunately. It's not a bad, a bit of, you know, a bit of pillaging. It's not a bad backup plan if everything goes south, eh? <laughs> That's, That's right. right. <laughs> the apocalypse is probably coming. I'm going to die. I'm not going to be around for it, really. Realistically, this, this episode is going to be called White Pride with Joel Vincent. <laughs> oh, <fuck laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> oh, amazing! So, um, so look, Joel, obviously, you jumped on the comedy bandwagon, um, 2019, uh, and then this year made it all the way to the Raw Quest final, which is an amazing achievement. Talk to us about that experience on the night and everything like that. How did how did how did you feel about all that? Um, it was really important to me in the sense that Raw doesn't mean that much overall. Like there are a lot of great comics that haven't got through, but it's just a way of getting there quicker in terms of I just wanted to, you know, to get on Big Wednesday and the late shows. Mm. So that was the big one for me that I was really not not worried about, but it was like important was the semi-final and I got through, which is good. I think that was uh man, our our semi-final had a good vibe. The first semi-final, like the audience was just not into it, it was real rough for everybody concerned, eh? But um, it's <laughs> just probably an element of luck based on that. But yeah, that was so that was a big relief, like getting to the final and then knowing that um, I would then, you know, get a few other spots of the classic. And if I don't fuck it up too badly, hopefully that will be continual. Um, yeah, so no, it was a good process. It was like, I feel like the set that I did um, still worked pretty well. It's definitely at the end of its like, life because it's political you know so i've got a bit about mm. judith collins simon bridges and christopher luxon which i think still quite it's very anti-comedy and like the bombing comic props comedy but but uh i will i can bring it back at some point and maybe change the characters in it but it was very much nearing the end of its life like it would have been better the year before um yeah but i'm glad that we did it when we did because i think it was still you know relevant enough that it worked yeah. But um, yeah, it was a cool experience. I definitely like the um, the semi-final, the heat and the night. We did like a warm-up gig the night before. I went really well. Like I was really happy with it. It was just working. And then on the actual night of the Raw final, I just, I don't know what it was. I just kind of, I wasn't particularly nervous. I think I leant into the character being nervous, which is probably a wrong, the wrong decision. He should have been more like dumb and bumbling rather than nervy because mm. I think there was so much nerves in the room anyway and people are expecting that. It kind of definitely don't think I delivered it as well as I had or it just didn't go down as well as something as in the previous ones but I wasn't wasn't terrible like I was reasonably happy with it it's also like a but it's like a cheap trick and a risk doing that sort of comedy to an extent because it relies on expectations being set so like being second you haven't heard a whole lot of comics whereas with the anti-comedy thing you're I'm kind of riding off the you know there'll be six people first doing mm. things that are relatively similar and then I'm coming on doing something completely different so if that pattern hasn't been established, um, it's definitely the detriment of it. So what I probably should have kept done is come on and done the eating ass set. <laughs> <laughs> but I know that, that Scott had explicitly said, like, we're not 
it's not a great idea to change your whole set and it, it's quite a it's quite a bold move eh? like if i'd have changed to that and it had bombed i yeah. don't feel like that is, <laughs> wouldn't have set me up for uh <laughs> wouldn't have been looked it wouldn't have been a good look perhaps but I think it would have been fucking funny though. Yeah. <laughs> the comics would have found it funny, absolutely. Yeah. I think it would have gone down all right. Yeah. But we I also wanted to do that props political set, you know, because I'd worked for quite a while and I really wanted to give it a good earring, you know, and then move on. There was an electric atmosphere in there that night, wasn't it? I was lucky enough to be in the audience. So Yeah, I remember that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it cool, a- man. It's a cool thing, eh? The the raw final. I don't think it means Every you know, like you can still there are plenty of people that haven't got through that have got on. Like I don't think Ray O'Leary ever got through, and he's like a fantastic comment comic. Mm. But it's a mean thing, you know. It's cool on the night. Um, it's a cool thing to be a part of and to watch. So it was, yeah, it was overall a really enjoyable experience for me. I felt a bit flat afterwards because I was like, "What do I do now?" Um, but me and David Stewart and Amy Thorne are putting on a show at the Wine Cellar in November. Excellent. So we've got there to look like work towards. So we kind of will do sort of between 10 and 20 minutes each, not as part of a festival or anything, just, just on our own bat. Um, it's a venue I play music a lot at and do run the Love Lamp gigs there. And Scott Bennett is going to MC. So I think that's been great because I want to get 15 to 20 minutes of just eating ass. So <laughs> working really, working really hard towards that. So I've got this goal in mind, which is really helpful. Because I remember Lovegrove saying, like, think about who you want to be in 50 gigs time, you know, like not not just tomorrow. So it's been really good to have that kind of thing to look forward to. You want to be the eating ass, man. I want to be the eating ass. Just... <laughs> I definitely am coming Board to the that. Market. If, you're gonna, if you're going to commit to that for 20 minutes, I'm definitely coming because I just want to watch the audience as you continue <laughs> to go yeah, down yeah. that. I reckon once you reach sort of the 10-minute mark, there'll be some real, I think you'll like, that'll kind of dip in the middle where people are like, is he yeah. going to go something else now? But then as he gets more and more absurd again, just because he still don't stop, it'll just get funnier and funnier. So what I found with that said is I've got all of these jokes, like I've already kind of got 15 minutes, I guess. They Most of them all work pretty well individually, but sometimes together the order and stuff maybe doesn't work depending on how it's done. It gets a bit much. So I had, I've done a bunch of 10 minute spots in my own gig and other open mics and stuff before, but I had, my first late show last Friday. Every time I've done the eating ass set at the classic, which would be about six times on big Wednesday and raw nights and stuff, it's gone really well. And the late show went pretty well. It had like a dip and maybe the last quarter I felt like I started off pretty strong and then uh, it kind of dipped. And then I think I got back at the end. Um, so it's definitely like, that's the thing itself that I, like, I learned heaps from doing that. Cause I was like, fuck it actually like, these things can all work individually, but like overall, that's a thing as well, right? The shape of the set or mm. how it works in context. Um, so yeah, it's just like figuring out now how to, I think it needs it to pro- progress fast. I've got this end bit about how I come from a long line of ass eaters and it's kind of going back through time. <laughs> and I need to, so I've got to make sure I do that in every gig between now and then. So I'm getting that bit tight and actually getting to that bit. And then if it's a 10 minute set, that's I did because I left that off, so I should have got there faster and cut the middle down. I mean, I think the comment you made earlier about the raw final not being everything is correct because I think, as you say, there's a lot of people that didn't get to the final and then went out and pushed on, and and you know went and did tours and stuff like that, and eventually got on. But what I think, you, as you're finding by getting to the final, it's fast tracking you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm Fridays not, and stuff like that. So it's giving you. Um, I'm not, not talking it down for sure. It's no, no, not at all. Like no, if I, I you get to the final, that's mean as fuck. Um, yeah. I'm definitely not belittling it. I reckon if anyone is going through the raw thing, listening to this, they should, you should definitely like aim to do that as long as it's mentally healthy and stuff because it's good. It's great. It's great to have something to aim for, right? Eh? Yeah. Um, yes. And then, yeah, but then it's not the be all and end all. Like if you kind of keep working at it and proving, you get there eventually, right? Just kind of fast tracks you a bit. Get to do more kind of shows that are like, although I haven't really. I've had one pro gig, which is actually before Raw, and I have, you know, get asked to the odd thing, but it's not like I'm like off doing professional gigs and having long spots yet, but I'm definitely finding it easy to get spots on open mics or kind of other shows. And, and the more people on Wednesdays and Fridays, because then you obviously start to mix in with the pros that start to see you, it opens up other opportunities there, right? And you get more well known and stuff like that. I think so, yeah. 
Um, if there's anything that's happened recently in Auckland that's kind of done something to bring stand-up and improv together, it's probably Love Lamp. I'm just wondering what's happening with that. Oh, yeah, so we, we're still, like, loosely doing a monthly show at the Wine Cellar, where sometimes it's, like, less than a month because of other commitments. So we moved our date. We had a, a different show that Stephen Lyons put on at Pitt Street Theatre, the Improv Mishmash, the other week, which was great. So we moved our Wine Cellar date, and we let me just check the date. It's, like... I think it's the second Tuesday in September is where we're going to be. So, yeah, I think we're on the 13th of September or the 6th at the Loves at, at the Wine Cellar. Just follow lovelamp.improv on Instagram yeah. and uh, cool. Facebook, and that'll come up. So, you know, that's still, a, that's still an ongoing thing. It just hasn't been as frequent. It's a great concept. Yeah, it is, eh? I think Amy um, had seen something similar in Melbourne. So for anyone who doesn't know uh, that sort of style of improv, for like long form improv often what you will have is like a prompt from the audience so maybe that you'll ask the audience for a type of sport and they might say football and then you do a whole lot of scenes based on football or you have like a monologue where the audience might say give us a monologue on aliens and someone in the cast will improvise a monologue for five minutes and then you do a whole lot of scenes inspired by that it doesn't have to be literal it can be um, just, just you know, like creatively adjacent, and uh, the way we're doing it is we have a stand-up comic do like three minutes of material. We do like a ten to fifteen minute deconstruction, which is like kind of scenes, improvised scenes, like inspired by that. They do it, and then we repeat that three times. So it's like a forty-five to an hour show. Then the great thing about it as well is at the end you invite audience members up to do some improv as well. Yeah, so we have it in two halves. We have our show, and then we have a break, and then we have an open jam. And anyone can get up, but there's no pressure to, which I think is really important. Yeah, it's fantastic. It was one of the first things that made me want to consider improv, actually, cool. um, was seeing Love Lamp. But the the thing that really sealed the deal for me was um, going to see Rehab 2, where I was like, okay, now I get improv, and now I see how it can be done. You can tell a really compelling story, purely improvised. And, you know, there were people I talked to afterwards who hadn't quite twigged that it was actually oh, improvised right. yeah, sure. and because it was so polished and it felt so like written <laughs> rehearsed oh good but, cool. yeah which was you know which is a compliment to it definitely but uh rehab four is coming out soon right yes so that'll be this thursday eh? is it the first of september yeah hmm. yeah first second and third of september which is this week at covert theater i don't know will the podcast episode be up and then might not be eh? <laughs> if i promise it will be it won't uh, be doesn't matter um <laughs> it's gonna be, an, be it is. yeah it's gonna be an <laughs> ongoing show so you can follow it on uh yeah the socials anyway but yeah um so that is like an improvised show with devised characters so we've got pre-written characters of the pre-written backstore backstory and the kind of you know pre-organized scenes like formats you know like we have like a scene in the park and the scene in um uh, various like groups within rehab like relationship group and what have you but the kind of content of it is improvised so how we what we say and how we interact as characters and stuff during the show is improvised and it's a Thanks. kind of it's a dark comedy set in a residential rehab facility kind of exploring addiction and people going through that journey and done in a way that's not um too shallow hopefully you know like um liz who is the producer is a recovering alcoholic of 12 or 13 years and you know we've been to some aa meetings and had people come and talk and have sort of like all worked to understand addiction and the impact of it and stuff so it's sort of approached in a way that is hopefully not yeah well it isn't it's like approached in a way that's it's uh not cheap and it's actually kind of exploring it and hopefully giving people a better understanding of what it is to be an addict and to struggle with that sort of stuff how did that concept come around joel you, I mean, I'm sure you don't sit in a room one day and go, hey, we should do it. Um, definitely, it's not my concept. It's Liz, Liz um, Elizabeth Krakeroft, who is the okay, producer. Yeah. So she had been thinking about it. I think, when it, what did she say? It was like early 2020 she came up with the idea of it because she'd been through rehab and stuff. So, yeah, I think she got sober when she was like 24. And it's been a big part of her life, you know, as it is because, you know, recovery is like an ongoing mm. ongoing thing. Like it is to be a human. You've got to keep working on, on things. And uh yeah, so she had that concept and then she'd sort of talk to me about being in the cast mid-2020 Yeah, and it developed from there. I'm devastated because I really wanted to come and watch it because every time I've wanted to come and watch one of the rehabs, I've been somewhere else and this week I'm going to Sydney on oh, Thursday. Yeah. So I'm going to actually miss it again, which I'm gutted about. So I'm going to have to definitely keep an eye out for Rehab 5 and just like 
blank my calendar forever. Yeah, it's going to be an ongoing go thing. It. Yeah, it'll be ongoing. I can let you know when the next dates are. Yeah, I mean, uh, we've obviously gone through my own improv journey as well. You know, I'm always keen to look at what other people are doing and the skill that they have and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, I've always had a, a high interest in that show for personal reasons as well. Yeah, I think it's an important show. It's a, a great thing for people to be aware of and a good thing to do as an improviser, I think, to be involved in, you know, both to extend ourselves, but also to have an understanding of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Mr. Danaher, where's your improv journey at? Where's my anything that's not work journey at? Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn. It's <laughs> Fuck work. I'm going to, I my, my intention is to um, get back to doing some stand-up. That's my priority. And yeah. then... And then I'm going to see about the improv stuff. Yeah. Getting back and doing 301 at Covert. Um, if they'll let me without making me do 201 again. I've still got to do the graduation thing. That's yeah. that's my issue. So I'll have to speak to the Covert and see what they'll let me do. Because you were, you were good. You were good at improv. Oh, thanks, man. Unlike stand-up. No, you're hopeless at that. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's why I'm going back to that one first. I'm just self-destructive. What can I say? <laughs> so, um, Joel, back to you. Um, mm. Your skills continue because you've actually taken up producing a show. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Every Sunday night at Wintwin. Uh, Tell us a bit of how you got into that. And also how you find producing versus performing and the challenges of producing? How I got into producing it is I um, did that show almost every week last year because I'm very proactive about hustling. <laughs> and that's, a, that's, that's a tip for anybody who's new. I reckon that you, you got you, it's good to ask for things, but do so in a way that is like not pressury and you are fine yeah. with a no. So I'll often message people and be like, oh, if anyone pulls out, I'd love a spot, but no pressure. And uh, yeah, anyway, I did that gig most weeks in 2021, um, which Jamie Patterson was running and he's just really busy, you know, he's running a whole lot of stuff and he kind of like didn't really have time to do it. And I'd mentioned to him that I'd be keen to help at some point. And eventually he was like, you know, do you want to run it? So I'm doing lineups and um, organizing all the people and being there on the night. And then he does all the advertising and what have you for it. Um, and if we make a loss, I don't have to take any of that loss. But if you make a profit, I get cut in. Which oh, is cool. good. I think <laughs> we don't think we've made a profit. <laughs> this is probably break about even, I think. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's every um, Sunday night at 7.30 at Win-Win Bar in Ponsonby, next to the Whiskey Bar, um, $10 on the door. And my, I guess my primary motivation for it was, like, creating, like, good stage time for myself each week is what I really wanted, you know? So I put myself on every week and we'll do, like, 10 minutes, tell everybody else they can only do six strictly and then put myself on for ages. Um, you're the, yeah. yeah, you're the producer, you, you're on the show, right? So Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a whole lot of unpaid work, so you kind of got to make sure you get something out out of it, right? And I'm very transparent yes. about it, you know, I just tell people that's what I'm doing. I'm, like, doing it so that I am... Um, yeah have reliable stage time to improve and so that i can try stuff out and no matter how bad i bomb the producer will still put me on because it's me <laughs> <laughs> how um, how do you find producing um it's okay it's not like i, I definitely wouldn't be doing it if i wasn't doing stand-up like that's my main focus is to get good as a comic hence i'm doing production because it's a way to get stage time and uh meet people and all that um yeah, it's pretty good. It's not, it hasn't been too much work once I've got it established. I'm trying to foster a culture with win win that people will message me in advance and organize shit, you know? So I'm trying to make it a good experience for everybody so that people are less likely to pull out on a whim. And I have it done a few weeks in advance and yeah, trying to decrease the workload, which is working reasonably well. So yeah, it's okay. It's like fun. I quite enjoy it. I don't, yeah. Um, you have to deal with um, various like bad behavior of people or disputes between people, which I don't like, but it is important to deal with it. You know, like if someone's made somebody uncomfortable or like um, had to ban an audience member, that sort of thing. So. <laughs> yeah. So you um, you said something earlier about you want to see where you are in 50 gigs time or something like that. Have you, yeah. set, yourself, have you set yourself a goal with comedy or any of your other performance? I guess my uh, umbrella goal is I, I'm in it for myself you know like i want to amuse myself and make things that i like um 
ideally then I'm not the only person that likes it <laughs> with, um, <laughs> with music that's a little bit easier because it's so broad and there's less of an expectation because people can listen to it or not listen to it or whatever um, with comedy obviously it has to be like bearable for the audience hopefully more than bearable but yeah that's my main motivation is I like like when I'm really happy with something like I, I will listen back to it a lot myself and laugh at it so I'm trying to make myself laugh really and hopefully like that translates into making it pleasurable for other people I would like to with comedy I guess I'd like to get to the point I could self-release like a special um, oh, put yeah. it on YouTube or what have you so which for me I think is the way I know people are worried about burning material and stuff but I figure like um, material I write now won't be the best stuff I ever write or it will change over time or what have you so I think once like once this eating us you know, I'm really comfortable with and I'm going to do a show or do a couple of shows, pay someone to film it. And, um, and yeah, I, I guess I'd like to get to the point I could like tour with it or have like a solo act at some point incorporating music into it. But I'm trying to stay away from the musical comedy until I'm comfortable without it. Because I guess part of the appeal of it is it's, it's a challenge, which is outside of my comfort zone. We'll wait for a while before incorporating music. Have you taken your comedy outside of Auckland yet or has it predominantly been Auckland centric? No, it's been, I did one gig in Hamilton, um, which was fun. And then other than that, it's just been Auckland. Yeah. But I may be going to Australia in the next school holidays, which is sort of like early October. So we'll see how that goes. Oh, cool. Just for a week, we'll check things out. I will, yeah. And um, I think I might be doing an open mic at the Whangarei Fringe or something. So not a fringe show, but there's like a good open mic there apparently that one of the people that has evolved with that, I met at Raw and he sort of messaged me about it. So yeah, well, I will do stuff and I will definitely go to Wellington and Christchurch at some point. I kind of, uh, I don't feel like I'm running out of stuff here at the moment. Like it's definitely something on the agenda, but I don't feel like I've had a point where I'm like, fuck, I need to get out of here and do it somewhere else. Like I feel like I'm still progressing and enjoying it and stuff. So the Auckland comedy scene has gone under, undergone a lot of change though since COVID, hasn't it? With gigs disappearing and yeah, I think it's it's getting back now. Eh? Like there was a shitload of gigs last year, a whole bunch of them went under, and then I think it's taken into the last couple of months that like it's built back up again. You get new people like um, Henry Chiang running Portland Public House, and I think he's got another mm. one underway, which is great. And then the comedy school grads doing some gigs themselves, so there's like a whole lot more people. Henry Ann's running Ding Dong, which is like a banger now. Yeah. Like the last few times at Ding Dong have just been like packed with people, which is like very rare for Ding Dong. Yes. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's getting like, it's getting back now. I think like there's more mics and more gigs and the attendance better. So yeah, it's been good. Uh, Darren, is, am I right in thinking you are going to be doing a gig over in Sydney? Yes, that's correct. Thank you, Matt. I, uh, Monday, the 5th of September, at a, um, at a bar called SoCal um, in, um, in um, Neutral Bay in Sydney. Um, I managed to get onto that uh, lineup. I have no idea how. It's pure luck. The Funny Flamingo Club, Club at SoCal on a, on a Monday night, I happened to be over there because um, it's my daughter's 21st birthday and we haven't seen her for 18 months. Oh, so wow. I thought, if what's the best thing to do having not seen your daughter for 18 months? leave her and go and do comedy is what i thought would be a great thing to do. bring her with you she is actually yes yeah, so all the family what 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 it didn't state is an age range on the ticket so i've bought tickets for all the family so uh when my 14 and 16 year old turn up if they go oh my god i'm like you're okay like my 16 year old oh this pause runs it ran out of yeah, battery i think frozen just at the yeah this is because he lives out in um the wop wops yeah. If anybody listening at home, Darren is fr- frozen with a very funny expression on his face. Yeah, so I should take a photo, actually. Yeah. This, might be the, shot. this might be the cover. No, I'm going to take a photo of my camera, That's because that's actually funnier. It is very boomer of you taking a photo of a computer screen. With exactly. the that's the joke. <laughs> yeah. This is, my anti- this is my version of anti-comedy. Yeah. <laughs> well, Darren, if you can hear us, try turning off your... Um... There you go. Good Lord, I don't know what happened there. Oh, your story was getting boring and we just cut you off. Oh, you just cut me off. Okay, that's fair enough. Thanks for that. <laughs> it's an act of God through Zoom. So back to you, Joel. Yeah. Actually, yeah, I definitely like that um, a thing, eh? Like, because there's all the, there are all the park comedy gigs over summer, um, yes. in Potter's Park and other parks, and that was a good, mm. well, I don't know if it's good, but it's a challenge of it. If some kids turn up, you've got to, you've got to alter what you're saying pretty fast. Or I guess you don't have to, <laughs> but, but for me, I do. You know, I don't want to be like saying something that kids don't have the context to you know understand or what have you 
Have you got um, enough material to do a clean set? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, I Is think it, so. To do yeah, it's difficult, especially if you've got limited material. Eh? I mean, my whole raw set counts as clean, other than the last joke. Which is, uh, I don't mind saying it because, you know, hopefully it's still funny when you've seen it a few times, but I do an impression of Stephen Joyce. You know, he, um, <laughs> uh, a protester at Waitangi threw a novelty squeaky penis dog toy at him and they got caught on the <laughs> national news. So I basically hand them out and get people to throw them at me. Um, yeah. So other than that, because it's like it literally has a dick in it, um, <laughs> the rest of the set is pretty clean. But I guess, as I said, it's kind of like getting a bit um, not current anymore. So I can definitely cobble together a set this clean. wonder whether there's anything we haven't covered um, that we should do in terms of what you've got coming up. I think that's pretty much it. Um, come to So come to our uh, David Stewart, Joel Vincent and Amy Thorne. Mm. We're doing, doing a show called Weird, Dark and Scandalous. And that's going to be on the 1st and 2nd of November at the Wine Cellar. Come to that. MC by Scott Bennett, who's a fantastic comic as yes, well. Um Yes, yeah, so are, like, are you weird? Are you weird? Are you dark or are you scandalous? I uh, hopefully I'm all three of them. I, I think if, <laughs> if you had to assign one, it'd be weird. <laughs> I was gonna say, I think you're all three, you all three of you fit all three of those words, which is a good thing. Yeah, I mean, if we had to choose one for one, it'd be I'd be weird, Amy would be dark, and David would be scandalous. But hopefully, there's some crossovers. <laughs> <laughs> is there any other stuff you got going on at minute, Joel, or anything else you'd like to talk about? Any subject matter we might have missed? Uh, off the top of my head, I don't think so. Just, um, yeah, if, uh, come to rehab, uh, the improv show at Covert, when that um, happens next, maybe after the podcast is done, but that'll be an ongoing thing. Come to Love Lamb at the Wine Cellar. Um, oh, I have a, uh, a band that I play with called Spiral, which is like a funk sort of a group. Has a show at Ponsonby Social Club on the 30th of September, which should be pretty fun. Um, yeah, you, you could come to that. <laughs> It's a good time. It's sort of like uh, a little bit like the Cat Empire, I guess, as a reference point. It's a bit like the what? Sorry, the Australian band, the Cat Empire. If anybody knows them, oh, I like funk, but I've never heard yeah. of um, the Cat. To be Empire. honest, I That's haven't really listened name. to them much either. That just the singer always mentions them. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of just like yeah, um, yeah. So that's coming up, and uh, yeah, uh, win win open mic every Sunday. 7.30 p.m. Win-win bar and Ponsonby, $10 on the door or buy tickets on a fin finder. Fantastic. All right. Um, anything, any closing remarks from you, Darren? No, other than it's been an exceptionally enjoyable hour and a half. Thank you very oh, much good for coming to, to the good podcast, to Joel. Uh, we've covered a multitude of different subjects and everything, and uh, I definitely recommend people get out and see you because... You're a bit like a box of chocolates. You actually never know what you're going to get until the night. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Hopefully it's somewhat coherent. I think my biggest challenge with stand-up is saying things succinctly. Like I'm definitely one to use a hundred words when you could say it in one. I've not noticed that myself. But anyway, thanks very much for uh, for coming on.